Hello everyone, Jesse Marsh here. Um, and next we'll have the, the episode between Bob and I, uh, between two coaches. But we filmed it before uh, everything started happening uh, with the protests in America, so you won't hear anything about that. But I wanna encourage people to do two things. First, uh, uh, we have to register and we have to get out and vote. And I know it seems rather trivial to say that, but if we want programming and we want real change in our country, then, then we have to put leaders in place that will actually make those things happen. And the uh, next thing is we have to have dialogue, right? We have to constantly have open dialogue to make sure that racism is a thing of the past. And we have to challenge people to think differently. We have to challenge ourselves to think differently. And the only way to do that is to, to talk openly as often as possible about the things that matter in racism. Uh, so good, enjoy the episode. I uh, appreciate everybody listening and, and uh, I hope everybody stays safe back home. Take care. Excited to get my man Jesse Marsh here today. Uh, Jess, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. How about you? Yeah. So, it's been a strange time, huh? Yeah. You know, I mean, we've watched a lot what's going on back in the U.S. a lot on TV here, um, followed a lot of things, and then compared it with what's been going on here in Austria. Obviously, Austria's in a much better situation. We, we also were introduced to a lot of things earlier, so... We're back playing again, you know, and it's it's exciting to to be back on the pitch with the guys. The excitement has been has been really high, and and you know, we, our first game back is the Cup final, so it's like there's no time to waste. We got to get going right away and make sure we're ready to to win a championship. Is there a set date on that? Yeah, it's it's May 29th yet. Okay. Yeah. So and then we that's a Friday night, and then the league will start on the Tuesday and Wednesday after that. We've all had so much time during this, and part of it is staying connected with family and friends. And, and I know, you know, it also gives time to think about, while the world's at pause, to think about a lot of things. So and anything special that, you know, as you kind of looked around and thought about where you are and what all this means, anything you've taken away from, from that side of it? Well, I mean, one of the things from just a life perspective is really been enjoying the, the mentality of the Austrian people is this is a smaller country. It's the president is 33 years old. They call him a chancellor like they do in Germany. And he's reacted really well. And the people, they call it Susammenhalt, which means like holding together. Um, that this part of the Austrian culture has been absolutely amazing. And the respect for the rules, the respect for each other. For me, I've read a lot of articles online about, you know, what's the, you know, that people can actually see the Himalayas, that, that the, the earth is changing, that, you know, you read good stories about kindness and certainly a lot of our, you know, first responders in, in hospitals and, and, and how, how they're handling different things. That has been very eye-opening for me. Um, and also very encouraging. Um, and then the part, you know, Bob, you know, the part you talked about, which is kind of staying connected with friends. And even you and I, I feel like we've had a few different conversations over the past three months, and it hasn't been so easy with our schedules in the past few years and our competitive worlds to actually take time to, to talk with each other and, and re revisit how all our families are doing and, and what's going on with our teams. So I've, you know, it was really nice to catch up with you, and then also just trying to, in in every way, stay connected when I'm, you know, when we're all not connected, when I'm so far away from so many people, but but finding ways to to keep strong relationships going. I think that part's been important with everything that's going on between clinics and and certainly now when we talk about essential workers and and how all of a sudden in the United States. Uh, we, we are recognizing people that have done important jobs that never got recognition. By the time this uh, podcast gets put together, uh, when I had a little bit of spare time and I was thinking about essential workers, um, I wrote a little piece that I think will be coming out in the next few days. Uh, and because you know that for all of us in our teams and in our clubs, there are people behind the scenes that get no credit and people that do anything for the club, for the team, for the players. And, and rather than some story that just sounded boring, uh, I pulled out the story of uh, 
Jesse Bignami in his first game, uh, China, in San Jose in Spartan Stadium. You remember the story that took place that day? Yes. <laughs> so putting it into words uh, was a test. And, you know, I, I, I was pleased at the end that, that it came out all right. But, again, it's a story about how Jesse Bignami, who became such an important part uh, of our national team as a personality, as a guy uh, with the equipment, uh, how in his first game uh, it was also when we were experimenting with the idea that Peter would be upstairs watching the game uh, and have a little bit of a, a connection with Mike down on the bench. And so the story of Mike uh, talking to Peter, but Jesse somehow thought it was about – he was asking Mike about tactics. Yeah. Yeah, so, Jesse was responding, going, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds good." Yeah, so that that so I told that story. So that'll come out at some point. Yeah. with the national team, he thinks he's uh, that part of the task is is making tactical decisions. Yeah, he's like, "Man, these guys don't know anything. I gotta take care of tactics as well." It's great. Anyway, great. so look, let's think back this way. You know, it's ten years ago uh, that right now we were at Princeton for something else. We we're getting ready for the World Cup. Okay. And, and we did our, our training there and, you know, you were, uh, you had come onto our staff, mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of 2010, uh, finished your playing career and we were getting ready for the world cup. Uh, what do you remember from, from that training camp and from the preparation going into the world cup? Well, I, I do remember, you know, from the moment I joined the staff, there was this, this real focus and direction on basically preparing everything to a T to get to that camp, right? So, I mean, we traveled around Europe that spring, scouting our players, scouting Algerian, scouting English, scouting uh, Slovenian players. Um, we worked daily to, to sort through what things we thought were going to be important, what we wanted the roster to look like, all those things. So by the time we actually got to camp, it was, it was really exciting. And, and we had 30 players, and we had to get down to 23. Um, we, we put a major focus on the time in Princeton on the fitness levels that we were trying to get our players to. And, and, and Pierre Berriou obviously always had really good philosophies on these things and, and was good at pushing the group. Uh, to get as fit as they possibly could. And obviously he had a lot of history with, with success in, in the World Cup. Um, yeah, don't lose that thought. But just one thing that, that I think that's also important for people is that we, we still worked with Pierre in a way that, that we got our football work in. Yeah, yeah. And then his fitness work came in addition to that. So we well, felt it was important because we didn't have that much time to – to make sure that every part of the work, the tactical ideas, um, making sure that technically we were working in certain ways and the fitness part still were worked in a way that, that prepared us uh, in the best way possible. You, you remember that part? We had two things we were trying to achieve along with the fitness. One was to get the way that we wanted to play to, to iron out the tactics on a daily basis, to push the speed at which our guys were playing to take a lot of the experiences that you guys had, had, had uh, built over the, the four-year cycle and then, you know, make sure that we were really understood what we were going to need in, in the tournament. And then also we all probably felt like we had maybe 19, 18, 19, 20 players that we could all probably check mark and say, okay, they were on the roster. And we still had to figure out how to, how to evaluate whatever, the, the, the other 12, 11, 10 players to figure out which guys were going to complement the, the, the full roster, which in the end winds up being important because I think in the tournament we might have played every player except for the goalkeepers. Yeah. I, every I, field. I, unfortunately, I think Jonathan Spector didn't, didn't uh, get okay. in. And, okay. and, and actually, had we, we gotten through to the next game, Steve Chirundolo was out with cards and Jonathan would have played right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but okay, to your point, yeah, I mean, we counted on everybody. Uh, especially as we had to push some of those games. One of the things I really appreciate that you built into the team, Bob, was the structure of how to defend and, 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 and be solid and be difficult to play against, but then the explosiveness we could play with when, when we would win balls. And that's still something I really value in what we do here in Red Bull. 
um, and with my teams now. But I mean, that, that group, it was, it was partly the personnel, but it was also really the tactics and the ideas of, of how to create these moments where we wanted players to be when we won balls and how to, how to then be very aggressive. So we did a good job of that, you know, and we had, we had good players, but we, we did a good job of creating a system around that. Yeah, we had a good group. You know, I, I, I think our ideas on uh, how to take advantage of, of Landon's abilities and Clint's creativity and, and being able to make some plays that other guys couldn't make, I think that became an important part for us, that, you know, they, they sometimes would start, I guess, you'd say wide in a 4-4-2, but the freedom to come inside so that, you know, in some ways I joke sometimes that, I'd have gotten a lot more tactical credit if I told everybody we were playing 4-2-2-2. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, a lot of the way that those guys, we use those guys is the way that I use those two tens today. Um, and, and certainly the qualities that they have. But, but you know, Landon and, Landon and uh, Clint are also very different. But, but the qualities they brought to the team certainly made the team special. Um, and made them capable of making plays at the, or the team capable of making plays at the highest level. And certainly they're both involved in the Algeria goal, but they're both involved in almost every good moment we had. Yeah, I mean, they found good ways to come inside and our outside backs could give some width. And then we had ways that when they received balls, they were facing forward and they had attackers in front. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think no matter what system you play, getting your best, most creative players into those kind of positions becomes really important. You know, and one thing I really, we, when we were doing the fitness in Princeton, it was amazing to see Landon Donovan's level of fitness, you know, and, and, and I had a talk with him in Princeton to say, okay, now that we've seen what, what you're capable of from a fitness level, you have no excuses, right? You have no room for not, you know, making up room here, not in making sure you're in full speed in transition moments. You know, he had, he not only did he have this talent, but he had a u unique level of fitness and, uh, and, and speed and fitness, which is not always easy to find. No, Pierre would always group guys, and, and Landon would always be in that top group. There would only, only be one or two others that would be in that group because yeah. uh, that was a pretty high level of fitness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that team, obviously there's been some games since, since everybody's been putting different things on, and uh, you know, they showed some different games um, at, at times, and people talk about that team. When I look back on it, I, I, I appreciate that I really think we had, we had a real group. I think there was a real sense of camaraderie, a real, just a real good level where guys looked out for each other and, and looked back on it, that being part of that team was something that they appreciated and enjoyed. Well, listen, we, you know, if we go back even in that camp here, it was partly in the Princeton time, but then we went up to Connecticut, we went to Philly, we went to DC to, to the White House. We had uh, Bill Russell come speak to the team. That was awesome. We had Dan Gelata, who was a, a, a helicopter pilot in Black Hawk Down, come and talk about, you know, military ideals. Um, you know, we, we watched... Um, the road to redemption or a reduced version of road to redemption of, of the 2008 basketball team that went to China and won the gold. Um, and we so, talked a lot about uh, Shusevsky and, and uh, uh, his standards yeah. and, and road I mean, to yeah. redemption and his book. So I think some of those things fit with some of our ideas really well. And it was a version of last dance, but an Olympic, you know, it was kind of that Olympic group coming together and, and all, you know, a bunch of superstars, but but, you know, I mean, it was, it was really special for me to take um, this group of young American players to, to fully understand the identity of who we were and who we wanted to be, to create programming and training and everything in a, in a three, four-week period so that when the lights came on, like you always like to say, that the group was absolutely ready to do everything that they could. And for me, the seminal moment, the seminal moment was, what do you think? Uh, Halftime of Slovenia for me. No doubt. No yes. doubt. No doubt. I mean, and listen, for me, this a is- A lot of strong voices. Yeah. And, and we're down 2-0. And, 
And, you know, some guys are, 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 are freaking out. Some guys are almost ready to give up. Some guys are, feel like their back's to the wall and they want to punch someone. Um, but we, we somehow gathered momentum and, and desire and belief and grit at that time in the halftime. And certainly you did a, you did a great job. But it, it, like the feeling coming into the locker room and the feeling going out of the locker room was like a 180. And, and it was like we felt like 100% we were ready to push and win that game. Yeah, there were strong voices. There were guys saying we're not, we're not done yet. Those kind of qualities where uh, – Everybody's on board. Everybody feels like they're counted on and part of something. Uh, you know, I, I think that wherever you go, whatever team you have, if you can make it that people that were part of it, and not just players, but, again, staff, feel like they were part of something that was different and special. And, and I don't know, you know, you and I, this is where sometimes – your way of of discussing this and my way are different. You know, you're uh, you're better at listing the you know here are the things that we worked on or putting. You know, I think when you talk about leadership, you'll have sometimes here are the three or four ideas that you have. I'm less structured than you in those ways. You know, I have an idea of of how I want to engage people every day, how I want to make people feel important, how I want to challenge them. But I think we, we found good ways with that. And, and I think that that's been an important part of seeing you grow over the years, is taking some of, of those experiences and, and run with them for yourself. Well, listen, I mean, you know, Bob, you, you and I have been together for so many years, right? And we knew each other from, we were both young men, not just me, you yeah. too. <laughs> I was young. <laughs> And, you know, we, I think one of the reasons why we were drawn together, we have very different personalities. That's, that's clear, but, but we have this innate desire to, to, to compete, to, to gather a group, to, to push every day to, and listen, I, I learned, I had some of those qualities, but I learned how to use them more once I met you. It's not about being good when it's easier, when the team is winning or when everything's going your way. Because everybody's good in those moments, you know. It's more like when it's really difficult, and when you when it requires a little bit of extra thought, a little bit of extra push, a little bit of extra concentration, and and yeah, some some balls at certain moments. That that's you know for me that's what this life is, and and so a moment like the Slovenia halftime, you know the 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 Liverpool halftime thing that goes out is a little bit embarrassing for me, but. In the end, that's, that's what I want my teams to, to be a reflection of, is the desire to, to just go out and, and not worry so much about what's going to happen. Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? And more just throw everything they have at it. And at the end of the day, you know, that, that's good enough. We have different ways to get at these things. I mean, I, I've always tried to, to get guys to understand what it means to be all in and what it means to, to bring your personality and not be afraid to show others who you are and what you are. Um, you know, I, I, I think personality is so important and, and, yeah. you know, sometimes people think, and, and, and look, you've had to deal with this. Sometimes people think that because I'm strong in what I believe that I don't want people to say what they think, or I don't want to hear others. Um, but for me, strong personalities and people who challenge you and people who stand up for what they believe, like those ingredients are key to, to, to not only making a good team, but, but man, that's key to life. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I have always enjoyed that part. And, uh, you know, when, when you have guys that care, when you have strong personalities, and you challenge them at the highest level, and then in, in return, they challenge you. I, I think that's how good things happen. I think if we jump around a little bit and go back to, to even your playing experience in Chicago, you know we had Crystal on and we had Mike and, and Ante. You know, one of the things that I think we all tried to make sure happened then is that that bar was set high every day in terms of you couldn't come in and be afraid. You couldn't come in and... Uh, and think you were going to get away with, with just sort of half-assing through training. I mean, you were, you were on the spot every day that you had to hold up your end of the bargain. 
So, so there's, there's two things to this for me. Um, when you talk about all in, you know, you were the, f- I played for good coaches and, and, and different situations, but like you were the first guy that, that really asked questions of players and, 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 and not, and, and what do you think? And what about this? And how do you feel about training the, the tactics? What do you feel? And, and, you know, part of creating the all in feel is that, when you show players that you value what they think, that you value their experiences, that you value who they are, they're more willing to commit all the way. And, and listen, even in Europe, one of the things that happens is, is that coaches, um, they, they feel like they have to be uh, on a higher level than everyone and that they sort of have to manage down and that they create the rules and they create the tactical uh, ideas and that it's, it's about the players executing what the coach says. And so, listen, I mean, we all have our different ways of leadership, but, but for me, it's great to have tactical ideas. It's really important. Like you have to have a plan, that's step one. But then the next part is you have to be able to communicate and, and encourage people to want to be part of a plan and execute the plan. And, and to do that, they have to feel like they're part of it. I, I fully believe that. Certainly when you talk about what we had in Chicago, it was ownership, but it was like a cutthroat competitive will. <laughs> you can talk about the style of what MLS is now, what it was then. It's very different. But the one thing that w- is so unique with that Chicago team is, you know, the, the amount of top level competitors that winning was, uh, winning was good, but losing killed us. And, and I mean, every day there were almost fights. There were, there were drag out uh, competitions and training with tournament days and different things. And, and Occasionally I had to throw someone out of training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, I, I told you I had some stories written down. There's a CJ ankle story written down right here where you had to throw me out of training. But listen, um, at the, you know, at the end, I'd much rather have it, you know, where everybody's going for it all the way. So, yeah. But, but you know, let me throw in one other thing. We also had guys that really understood the game. Yeah. You know, and, and so I, I, I think one of the great challenges as you go to any club is, is trying to make sure that you get this competitiveness and this will and this mentality but then you also get a team that's smart and knows how to play and has a real understanding. And again, that understanding might be specific tactics to that team. I mean, not every team plays exactly the same, but, but for me, how you can manage to put some of these things together in a package becomes really important. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, I, we, we looked into different things at different places I've been at about scouting, right? Because when you go out and get players, and, and certainly in today's day and age, the, the market values are rising. And when you're spending you know, major amounts of money on players, you, know, you can always evaluate how they play and what they look like and will they fit with what we do. And then you can talk to people, but to really understand their tactical intelligence, their, their ability to adapt to culture, their, their understanding of how to grow and develop and, and, and continue to move forward, their, their, their ability to think outside the comfort zone. These, for me, after, the, okay, after you have the football qualities, these personality qualities become almost paramount. And I, and I learned a lot of this from you. When you have a team, you create a standard, right? We all have to live by certain rules. We all have to have a way of showing up and working every day. And we can't allow people, you can't allow people to slip underneath the, the, the standards of what gets created. Everybody has to be held to very high standards. But then after that, like the more personality, the more people that come in with positive energy, the smile on their face that are really, really ready to throw themselves at every day, then the environment is fun. You, you see people develop, you see the best out of it, you, you expose the best of people and not the worst of people. And so, you know, that's, that's a big, that's, that's again, that's leadership uh, uh, more than it's even, you know, and life more than it is football. Yeah, culture. I mean, when you create a culture where when guys show up every day, they're excited about being there. Um, you know, there's camaraderie and, and there's a part of, you know, joking and humor and laughing. And, but then there's a part of getting to work and a part of 
how to do it better and, and how to put those two things together. Uh, you know, I, I think some people find the balance of those two hard, you know, so as you've moved along, you know, how do you find the balance? Because look, I, I think when you talk about differences between us, I think outwardly you're more positive than I am. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'm positive, but not everybody knows it all the time. Right. Listen, I'm not saying you're not positive, but that's inherently yeah, one, one. No, but, but again, I'm, more, I'm a little more extroverted and not that you're not extroverted, but you know, I'm not, you know, you're, you're a little bit different generation. You're also a little bit more serious at certain times and that's okay. I mean, you listen, but you, you have a strong personality and a really good way of creating relationships and communicating and you know, my way is different. So that, you know, yeah. we, we do the same things, but in a little bit different way. Yeah. So, so again, you know, I was mentioning to you before and I've listened to some different podcasts lately. One's called Flying Coach, Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's a really positive coach. Um, yeah. You know, crazy. and, and crazy. say that again. Crazy energy. Yes. Because it don't matter where we go. We can go wherever we need to go and get the job done. And, and, and so, you know, how all of us it, use that personality, how we get it out of others. But, but again, the the challenge of holding people to high standards and knowing when to be hard, when to be positive, when to be encouraging. I mean, tell me, tell me where you are with all that. Well, one thing I, you know, and, and I, at my next question to you will be about Egypt because okay. one of the things for me was, you know, I had, I had a good balance of that in New York, but it, it became, it was almost easy because, you know, the, the, the culture was so different before I got there and, and it needed a positive shift. It needed a feel of everybody being involved and, and not just the Terry Henry show, you know? So it was relatively easy to create this concept of everybody coming to work and building something together uh, because they were hungry for it. And then, you know, with the language and the support I had in the club and, it, it just continued to work forward in a really positive manner. And, and one of the great challenges of moving to Europe is, is understanding the culture, right? So when I land in Germany, not only am I going to Germany, but I'm going to East Germany in Leipzig. And, and now understanding the way that Germans work and think and the way that East Germans work and think and how it's different in Leipzig than it is in Köln or that it is in Munich or in Hamburg and, and how people think differently and how the fans think differently and what the identity of the club is, all of these things. And then now find a way to still be me and use my personality and my strengths to have a positive effect on, on the things that I think are important within a team. Big challenge, but, but this is you know, that's why I went, right? This is what you're, this is why you're doing it. And then, you know, coming to Salzburg, it's another, it's a, it's, it's a closer version to the U S where it's, it's a little more positive. It's people are more open-minded. They, they work together really well. Not that they don't in Leipzig because clearly Leipzig does it really well in, in their own way, but it's just different in Germany than in Salzburg. So yeah. I mean, clearly when you go to a place like Egypt, you know, and, and now not just that, you're tasked with the national team. There's a lot of big challenges with that. Yeah, the, the challenge of establishing starting points, um, you know, in Egypt, uh, for sure. Look, I was an American. I'm coming in. I don't speak Arabic. Uh, so I had to find ways right from the beginning to make sure that, I could show who I was and they could get to know me and I could get to know them. And, and I still felt like there were a few guys that spoke Arabic and English. I had two assistants, Zaki and, and a really important guy, uh, Dia. Dia had been the coach for the under 20s and he had good relationships and, and his English was okay. But what I've always done in all these places is gone in with an open mind that I'm not arriving here with all the answers. I'm arriving where, you know what, I've got to get to know you. You've got to get to know me. And then together we can figure out, you know, how are we going to make a real team? What are we going to be all about? And, and, you know, there were a few key moments in Egypt. There was the incident in Port Said. And at that point, the league stopped. And nobody knew what was happening. And a couple days later, 
uh, I went to the memorial uh, at Ali. And when I saw the faces of all the players, I knew what they had been through. And uh, I saw Abu Treka at it. And when I arrived in Egypt, people told me that Abu Treka was finished. He was too old. And he wasn't playing all the time at Ali. And then little by little, he started playing more. And, and I could see right away that he, he still had things that others didn't have. He still had an eye for certain passes. And so uh, I set up a meeting with him. And he came. I wanted to go meet him. And to show you the culture there, he would have no part of it, that the only way we would meet is if he came to see me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had to do it really quietly so that no one would know. Mm-hmm. And he came to the hotel where I stayed, and we set up a, a meeting room upstairs. And I saw a guy. He, he brought. He had a gift for me, and it was a T-shirt for Brazil 2014. And after that meeting that day, I knew that I had somebody I could count on forever. And I said to him at the end, I said, look, I know you're just starting to get fit again. I don't know, you know, whether you can play 30 minutes or 60 minutes or 90 minutes. But, man, you know, I, I need you in this. You know, I need you to be my brother because together maybe we can make this work. So those kind of connections and relationships where you start to feel like here's somebody who's so different, so much character, so much wisdom, uh, that, that now you, you, you make sure you've got people with you that you can absolutely count on. You know, again, I know that you've worked so hard at the, the German. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been in and out of places quicker. So, you know, by the time I left France, my French was getting a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had to, to go into places at first and try to establish these kind of relationships where, you know what? I can't speak the language, but I, I listen. I found out that in Arabic and in France, in football conversations, I could understand what was going on. Okay. And then, so there were many times that there were certain things being said, and without any translation needed, I could jump into the conversation. And that showed guys that actually, you know what? I, I was on top of things. So little, little things made a difference when I couldn't communicate perfectly in their language. I mean, listen, you know, I wouldn't know this unless I visited you in Egypt. You know, I happened to be on this trip around the world with my family and we made a stop to see you, which, I mean, I, I, you know, I should thank you again for how generous you and Lindsay were when we came. And um, we love was, seeing you guys. It was like an oasis for us to, it, Cairo was an oasis for us. <laughs> Your kids didn't want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't think people really know how brave you were, you know, to, to take this job. Obviously, things change when you're there, so it requires you to, to adapt and adjust. But, you know, I saw firsthand what, the, what that part of the world was going through at the time, you know, the, the appreciation that people had for you. I mean, it, you know, there's, the, there's the, the different documentaries that have been done, but, but I don't even think enough people have seen those to really know, you know what your experience was and how fascinating it was. You know, walking down the street with you and people calling you Captain Bradley, people slamming in on, on the brakes and screeching so they could get out of the car and take a photo with you, the passion that they had for what you were doing with the team, the belief they had in you, and, and that was all learning the language or not, that was about you adapting to, to them, but also creating a, 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 a version of a team that you thought could be successful. Yeah, and the key point there, and, and then we're going to get back to you, but the key point was that Egyptians are proud and they could see how much I cared about them and their country. And so, you know, again, we do have different styles, but this ability to show people that you care, that you're all in, that you're committed. Um, you know, I got asked over and over after Port Said, why are you still here? Because mm-hmm. it made no sense to anyone in Egypt, given that everything had changed, why I would even stay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that because I thought, wait, I, I took this responsibility and here are these incredible players. All in. And right now, like, none of them know what's happening in their careers. And they show up to every camp so into it, so motivated. And, and so, like, 
you're not going to be any kind of a leader if you're looking like you're the first guy out the door. And, and so for me, you know, no matter how you get that point across, uh, you know, one of the words that I use in more lately, uh, and again, I don't know if it's just, you know, we've had more time to all ref- spend time thinking on, on whatnot, but I use just this simple word of being real. And it's, it's such a basic word, and I don't know what it means to everybody, but this idea that you know who you are, and when you step into any situation, your ability to be yourself and be real and be honest, and you know, you've talked about making mistakes where the language, you don't get it right, but that part of being real with people, I think as a leader is so important. Yeah, it translates everywhere. Moving here and, and, you know, going to Leipzig and Salzburg, it's natural to have the feeling like, okay, will they accept me? Will they believe me? Will they trust me? Will they see things similarly? Will they not? You know, how will I reach a team in the same way that I was able to in New York or in different places? And, and that part about being real is it, it, that's what translates the most, right? Is people are people. And yeah, we all had different backgrounds and we have, we have players from Africa. We have players from Asia. We have players from all over Europe, South America, and you have to kind of understand some of the basic qualities that in theory people from those countries possess, but then you have to also dig deep into and get to know people and and have a way of of having real relationships so that you can talk openly and 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 you can enjoy each other and then and then from there then obviously you you need to be able to challenge each other so um you know I mean for me it's been awesome like. When I speak German with a Korean player or a Japanese player or a French African player or, you know, this like there's there's a lot of pressure in Germany for sure. And also here in Austria to learn the language. It's important. It's an important part of the culture. And, you know, I mean, I've enjoyed that part and I've tried to, to that's one of the things I've tried to do is give of myself to, to show that I'm willing to adapt to that. I want to be part of it, that I want to grow and get better and learn. And that again, yeah, I do it because it's important, but I do it because it's also an example. It's an example of the way that people need to behave with each other. And, and, and it's a show of respect to each other to, to come together every day and, and have these kinds of standards to each other. Yeah, that's key. I mean, look, you had some ideas, anything you want to move into before I throw my next thought at you? Yeah, I mean, you know, since we're talking about Egypt, I think, you know, it's, I thought about, you know, you had Mo Salah when he was young. I've had Erling Holland. I think there's some comparisons we could talk to and, or talk about. And I mean, you know, talk a little bit about when you first met Mo, you know, what, what those kinds of experiences were like, how you helped create a development path for him and clues to, to where he needed to go. That, I think that'd be interesting. So when I first arrived uh, before Port Said, uh, I got to watch two months of games. And Salah was on a team called Arab Contractors, and it was a young team. And there were a number of guys that had played for Dia. And when I would go watch them play, what I saw was a team of young players that had football, but when they played in the league, they looked like an under-21 team playing in a, in a first league. And so I saw Salah's ability but I didn't know what it would look like up close I didn't know what it would look like when I finally got the chance to work with them since there was no league we just had to start finding ways to get guys together and we had camps and you know we stayed in this little hotel near Cairo Stadium and we got access to some fields on the outside of Cairo Stadium and it was a chance to bring those young players in and from the first day that now I worked with Salah, I, I saw how strong, powerful, explosive. And, and Jesse, one of the first things I thought of was um, Christos Stoichkov. Because I saw this young player that when he was playing outside and he ran inside, he took off with such speed and explosiveness that even though some of the little fine touches weren't perfect, um, man, the way he could go and the desire to get the goal and make a difference was incredible. Uh, and then I found a guy that was humble, wanted to learn, wanted to be coached, wanted to get better. You know, I still hear from him all the time. Uh, he, he hasn't changed as a guy. 
And, and he became uh, an immediate important player in the team. The connection between Abutreka and Salah became really key, yeah, not only on the field, but off the field. Uh, and because the league had shut down, it, it led to uh, the ability for him to go to Basel, which was obviously his springboard into bigger things in Europe. So, uh, you know, he's worked incredibly hard at, at, for example, his finishing. He always had the ability to come in on his left foot and hit the curler. Uh, that, that was one that I, you know, we, we won a really important game uh, late against Guinea in the second World Cup qualifier. And Salah scored right at the end in, in that kind of way. You know, he cut in and he took a, a, a little pass uh, that put him into that little space coming inside. And he just hooked one right into the far corner. But he's worked incredibly hard at the rest of his finishing. We used to show him some of Messi and, and how and, Messi would I mean, dribble. That's what I think of when, when he makes those little moves across the box and then he can put the ball in the corner like that. That's, that's Messi, yeah. Yeah, but, and then we would show him the one where Messi would dribble inside and then shoot through the defender's legs to the first post on the ground. That's, that's also good. And, and we would try to say, look, we've got to get you to be able to finish in more ways. And can you, when you're running full speed, can you dink the keeper? So for me, the experience was... An Did you teach him how to score from an impossible angle with his right foot? Because he did... <laughs> Incredible. I know. <laughs> I thought about you twice this year for sure. Both games were in Liverpool. Yeah. So, well, yeah. no, the, the right foot uh, from that angle, I have to say yeah, even that did. one I hadn't seen yeah. happen too many times. Yeah. And but what, I mean, his personality, he seems pretty shy. I mean, yeah. I mean, He's humble. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, Jesse, amongst teammates, he's very well liked. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he is a humble guy. He's got a good sense of humor. He's still in those ways is fun to be around. You know, he's quiet. He doesn't need to be uh, in the center of everything, but he's smart. He's funny. They put so much pressure on him now. Yeah. And, and it makes... That's another thing, you know, that I, I, I don't think people really know the football culture of Egypt. It, it's, and it's, and the, the, the pressure that they put on him now, but he still gives to so many charities and does things for kids. And, uh, you know, he's still just a guy that, that is real and, and somebody that um, is humble. I, I'm really happy for everything he's achieved. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. He seems like an incredible young man. I mean, I said hello to him after the first game just briefly. And yeah, he was very humble. And, you know, for me with, I've now worked a lot with young players, you know, and it's, it's always fun trying to, to uncover. And, you know, here in Salzburg, we have, we have so many good, young, talented players. And it's about carving a little version of different you know, maybe examples like you talked about with Messi or Stoichkov or, um, and then talking about things you've seen and experienced. So, I mean, there's all, there's, there's tactics, there's leadership, there's, but then there's using your experiences to help understand each individual and their football qualities and their personal qualities and how to help carve a little kind of path for them that makes sense to who they potentially can be. When you can create trust and you can create belief with young players, you see progress so quickly. With Erling, I mean, you know, he, if you just talk about his first step, his power, his speed, his technical ability with both feet, his awareness around the goal, his finishing ability, you would have to right away put him in the upper echelon of talented players in the world. But, you know, with him, he's got this mentality. He's got this desire. I mean, he, he believes and wants to be the best footballer in the world, right? And, and there's some cockiness that comes with it, but it doesn't come across as arrogance. It's more, it's driven to be a positive effect in, in, in the way that he um, pushes himself to, to grow and get better every day. I mean, he, he was often the, 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 he would be back in the training center doing regeneration a second time when I'd be leaving training he was the first guy to come and ask for video and we would sit down and go through things and look at things. He would, he would always 
ask good questions. I find that to be a really important quality when you work with players. Like right away when they start asking the right kinds of questions about tactics and football, and then you feel like, okay, now we've got something here. Would you ever show him any other player? We would talk about Ibrahimovic. Um, and then we would use um, examples. And then we would talk about Lewandowski. Okay. Because the, the, the thing that I really love about Lewandowski is he loves being involved in, in build-up play and, and being a footballer. But my God, he, he does everything he can to get on the end of balls in the box or in making deep runs or, you know, so we would talk about that, about, about playing football, but about being a goal scorer. And so, and, and he, has a, he has a knack, he has a knack for that, right? So his, his, ability, his ability to sprint like, you know, how we were talking about Landon to sprint and then sprint again and then sprint again and do it at the right times and understand football timing is really special. And then, you know, I mean, his ability around the goal is also very special. Yeah. The way he sets himself up to shoot on his left foot, he sets himself up so easily and so confidently that that part of, uh, for a young I mean, player is incredible. The law can like make these little quick movements, like you know, and it, and it's it's a unique kind of athleticism, and it's the Erling is so big, and he can arrange his feet and arrange his body, and and you know, I've read I've read even read things uh, about him when we first were coming together that he grew like you know ten centimeters in one year, and then you know, I mean, and he it took him a little bit of time for his body to adapt, but I mean, we would do footwork things with him and different things like that, but he. he He's got, he's got incredible explosiveness with size and agility. Yeah, you can see it. So, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, uh, January, you, you lose uh, Holland and uh, Minamino. Yeah. Uh, and you guys, you know, still have such a good first half of the season, but obviously, Lask is still a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you lose those guys. Uh, how the how, – Salzburg is a selling club. So on one hand, there's always this idea that when we sell, there's young guys, and now it's their turn. But how did the group handle it? Again, when you work with young players, you have to be open and actually excited for them to move on, right? Yeah. It, it, it's normal. It's the same with Tyler Adams. I, I mean, I, I texted with Tyler today. I, I te- like you said, I, I keep in touch with Erling. I encourage those guys. I, I'm proud of them. And, and that's a big part of the success of our club here in Salzburg, for sure. And then you just, you know, then it's, it, it's time for the next player. Yeah. You know, it, it's, that's, I really believe that. And, and in the end, we, we rotated a lot um, in, in the fall. And we had a lot of success with the group, with and without Taki, with and without Erling. Um, obviously we knew in the biggest games that those guys made us better at the time, but we had a really good, uh, winter preseason and we felt really good about the team. What happened was, is, you know, here in Salzburg, there's a high standard for success and there's been year after year of, of almost unbeatable. Right. And so we lose one game and, and, and we have an unbeaten, we're, we're unbeaten in the season. We lose one game and we go to second place and, and it rattled the team a little bit. You know, with a, with a young group, I didn't really think it had much of an effect on us, but it did. And so then it was about sort and of... did you address that at all? Yeah, oh yeah. But I mean, it, it, I, didn't, I didn't fully address it until then we lost to Frankfurt bad. Okay. Right? And after the Frankfurt game, then we had a, then we, we had a talk and said, guys... And what'd you say? I understand the idea of the pressure here to be winners, right? But the only way for us really to get better, like we had an incredible fall, almost, almost unbelievable that an entirely almost new team has such a great champions league run and goes undefeated in the league. And, but of course we're going to lose games and, and losing is always about a reaction about learning about what we could do better and about staying strong. Right. So I underestimated how rattled they were. Right. And the Frank, the, for me, the worst game of the year was in Frankfurt. We really let ourselves down in that. We lost 4 1 there. Right. Um, and, then, and then tied 2 2 at home and then we got knocked out of Europa. But, you know, I mean, it was a lot of work in February in general to try and, like, you know, address the mentality of how to deal with, with tough moments and make sure that 
that, you know, for every tough moment that we knew how to respond and knew how to get better and that we had every guy ready, ready for, for the next step and what we needed. So, I mean, but Bob, this is in MLS. I mean, you, you've had some good, you know, two good seasons there. We, you've had a lot of good seasons in MLS. You've had a lot of good seasons everywhere you've been. But it's not normal to win every game. <laughs> no, of course not. You know, and, and so when you're in a league that's a little bit more competitive and, not, and, and, and we're not so dominant, this is the first time I've really been on a team that's so dominant. And I'll say this, from, from, from January 19th until February 14th, okay, and I mean one year and one month, I was on teams that didn't lose one league match. Right. In Leipzig, we didn't lose a league match. And then we didn't the whole time in Salzburg. And, and so, but I still know that in the end, coaches are, are, are they, you know, we get paid and, and, and our, our measure of success is often how we deal with setbacks. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, we had to dig in. We had to work through on some tactical things a little bit more. We had to dig in on the mentality and make sure that guys were a little bit more hardened and a little bit more prepared and could play with a little bit more desperation that, that uh, you know, that, that more was on the line. So in the end, it was really good for us. And I think we're in a better place. Look in every team and it gets framed differently based upon the team. If you're in a situation where again, the team's margin is small because they're used to winning every game. That's different than, you know, I go to Norway and, and it's a team that's come up from the second league and everybody says there's no chance for this team to stay up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody says to me, well, you know, are you stupid? Why would you take that job? I said, look, there's two ways to go about this. There's the way where you just try to hang in every game and hope enough times you take a point and somehow – Maybe at the end of the year, your, your head's an inch above the water. Or you say, you know what? We're going to play football. We're going to go and try to win games. We're going to get better. We're not going to be afraid. And I said, we're doing it that way. Yeah. And, and so we, we had a good start. And then all of a sudden, we lost a couple of games. And I remember going into those guys and basically saying, listen, no one said this is easy. Like, we're not changing anything. The same things that we said at the beginning, now we just have to do everything better. And it was just to make sure from the beginning that there wasn't any doubt, that there wasn't any like, well, maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that. It was just, hey, you know what? You come up from the second league, nothing's for free, and now here's how we're going to continue. Even when we were with the national team in the World Cup and we're playing against England and we're, you know, I mean, it's – Wanting, wanting to be in these games, wanting to be in difficult situations, wanting to, to, to test yourself, right? That, that's what makes sports, right? Uh, that's what makes it a unique lifestyle. What I like about your team is that you go into every game and you command the game in the way that you want it to be played. And that's what, what we try to do. And, and in the end, yeah, you can lose sometimes and, and something, something can happen in a match or sometimes you run into a team that's better or whatever. But, but the, the point of, of having a plan, right, sticking to a plan, obviously developing and getting better within the plan, but then having confidence in who you are and what you do, this is important not just for a coach, but for an entire team and organization. 